just like that, the final hour is here for this Wednesday edition. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Hutton Withrow here. Clay Travis will be with us coming up in roughly 20 minutes. NFL owners meetings have wrapped up, and the big discussion has been about the sale of the Washington Commanders. It wasn't on the docket. NFL owners are confirming that. But what has also been confirmed is the NFL and specifically Washington, Dan Snyder, have received a an offer of the asking price of around $6 billion from Josh Harris, who has uh, put a group together that includes Magic Johnson. And Harris is the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. He's from the D.C. area. He has the formal bid submitted to the commanders. Arthur Blank said something interesting, Chad, on this yesterday, where he was asked about, you know, you guys reportedly weren't going to discuss this. It's got to come through the league. It's coming out during the league meeting. What do you make of it? And Arthur Blank, owner of the Falcons, responded by saying, he's he's on the finance committee for the owners, uh, of 32 owners. I would say you know you know about as much as the league owners do. That that from an owner to a media member. And the quote continues, and that's very rarely the case. I think the league is definitely supportive of this process. Whenever the final bidder, the selected bidder is brought into the room, the league has a lot of work to do which they have not started to do and that has to be done. Blake said the league and the other owners have had quote very minimal communication in quote, with Dan Snyder about the sale. And I think it's key here, the selected bid. So it's up to Snyder to present this, and he's getting the ASCII price, according to front office sports, A.J. Perez, who we had on yesterday, saying that it was it's Josh Harris's group that has the $6 billion offer. We've also seen reports today that Jeff Bezos and Mark Cuban are also putting together bids that will be around that number but the only formal offer to this point is through Harris and his group out of Philadelphia and New Jersey. Yeah, that's A.J. Perez from Front Office Sports Report, who we, and we had A.J. on the show yesterday. Um, I heard frustration in that quote. I have not heard it, but just even hearing the text read from Arthur Blank, there seems to be some frustration with the lack of communication from Dan Snyder on what's going on and Jerry Jones with other the owners. Yeah. So, and that's funny. He says, this is the rare case where you guys in the media know as much as all the owners do about yeah. it because usually we know a little bit more than you do. And I'm sure that Arthur Blank and the other 31 owners prefer it that way where they're more in the know than the media. And this is a case where that's not the case. I think So I'm sure there's frustration for that. I, I think, too, angle. they just want to wash their hands of Daniel Snyder. So they're like, hey, if we step back and he gets what he wants and he, has, he submits – the, the selected bidder for who he wants to sell the team to, then we'll do the background checks. Harris, though, has been a, a, a part of the discussion with the league prior to just with Washington. He was mentioned among the bidders, I believe, for, or if he didn't bid, he was mentioned for uh, potentially doing this for Denver. And the assumption would be, if he doesn't get this, Seattle's next in a, in a year and a half or so. Point being, I think the league is doing this behind the scenes. They know among the bidders, who they would select and who they won't. And, I mean, Cuban's name is being mentioned late here, but I think if Josh Harris, based on the bid that has already been formally put together, and, and honestly, he raised it. He went up to the asking price for Dan Snyder. And honestly, 
who cares if you're the owner? If it's Harris and it's six billion, I mean, well, do you really care? Because it, anyone well, it that's not Dan Snyder is better. Right. It depends on who you're replacing. Yeah, if you're replacing one, of the, replacing one of the beloved owners in the league, they, then you want to replace them with a like-minded person. When but, Jerry Richardson stepped down, they had Tepper in place quickly. My point is, what billionaire capable of spending $6 billion in an ownership group could possibly be worse than Dan Snyder to the other owners? Not right now. There's very few. Yeah, not right now. So it's going to be an upgrade, and the value of your team is going to go up. Because this sell is going to help that go up. Yep. When another team goes for, we go from 4.8 for the Broncos to $6 billion for Washington. And I do not understand. I, I think we were talking to, maybe it was A.J. Perez yesterday or someone else, but how everyone looks at the subpar facilities of the commanders and all the negative things that have gone on under Daniel Snyder. And to still see that valuation at $6 billion, $1.2 billion more then what I see is a very well-run franchise with a great fan base in Denver. That just blows my mind. Well, that the commanders are still worth that much more money than the Broncos, well, what, a year later? They're far more valuable with a new owner because the new owner is going to get a stadium done. And then you put, you know, you're going to be hosting these massive events there. And chances are, uh, based on the financing of that, it's going to be far better uh, financially for that particular owner because he'll he'll – own everything that's going to be inside the stadium. Titans are building the dome here, and everything within the structure of the dome, the Titans will receive. But, I mean, you buy a house. You're buying the Broncos. You're buying a pretty complete house. There's not a lot of renovations that need to be done to it. When you buy a house that needs a ton of work done, you typically spend less because you know you're going to have to put an influx of cash in to get the house that you want. This is a situation in Landover, Maryland, where they're going to have to put a lot of money in. Well, Even if they get cut a sweetheart deal for a new stadium and all that, which they will, it the new ownership group, they're going to have to spend for all the facilities around that team. So the, the economics of it, they don't make a ton of sense to me other than just to say, if you just came in and said, well, the next one's going to go for $7 billion, no matter who it is. Well, it's just going to keep going up and up and up and up. Harris had had a bid prepared, and it wasn't $6 billion. And then Magic Johnson's they started adding other people to this group, and they got it up. And I, I assume uh, there's nothing uh, you know, stated or reported on this, but, I mean, to me, behind the scenes, the owners had to be saying, like, look, Josh Harris, you want this? Put a group together that's going to give him what he wants so we can get him out. You're in. Add some more uh, names to the pot, get it up to six billion, and you still own the vast majority of the franchise anyway as part of the ownership group. I'm not saying that happened. That makes sense though, because he's probably putting forth the same amount of money. He just has more people there to donate to the cause to get it sold to him and not to another group. That's the way I, I view that. But again, maybe it's Josh Harris saying. I really want to own the NFL franchise in my hometown. The price just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, given all the things that need to be done and all the extra money that will be spent on top of it once they get it. Well, keep in mind, they're, I mean, how much is the Cowboys worth? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, the Cowboys, you've got no need for a stadium, no need for any other facilities. Right. Like, you're getting all of that when you buy the franchise. So right. that's the finished product I'm talking about. This is a renovation project. That's going for $1.2 it's, billion it's, more than the Broncos, who are it's in not way a renovation, better shape right now. It's a now. rebuild. You're going to get a brand yeah. new stadium out of it. 
And that you're also you, going to, I mean, you're also going to have a lot of power based but on. But you're spending something for that stadium. Sure. Yeah, you're spending $6 billion, But you have to reach a certain minimum threshold financially to even be an owner in the league annually. Yeah, but do you not understand what I'm saying about the difference in franchises? The I Broncos mean, don't need all these things. This guy is spending $1.2 billion more to then have the right and privilege to spend a ton more on a stadium, a ton more on a facility yeah. for the team and everything else. It's the difference between a renovation project and a finished home. If I go and buy a new construction that just finished, I'm spending premium dollar because I know I'm buying something that I'm not going to then have to take more money out of my pocket to spend money on renovations. This guy is spending $1.2 billion more not just than him. the Broncos that didn't do anything. Jeff Bezos wants it. Mark Cuban wants yes, it. Yes, but I... There's a real I estate mogul in Canada that's also someone, put together money. Some economist is going to have to explain this to me because I don't get that. The economist get will it point if to the... State. I mean, if the billionaires are willing to spend the billions, to me, it's a... I mean, you're talking about a guy, too, that owns the 76ers and the Devils, and he's willing to pay $6 billion for an NFL franchise. No, I get it. Like, there's people that are willing to buy it. That's the price. My point is... How is this $1.2 billion more than the Broncos? I don't understand that part of it. Because Dan Snyder wanted $6 billion. That's why. Then why did the Broncos family settle for $4.8? They, had to get, they couldn't agree on the sale. That was their problem. They couldn't agree on whether they're going to keep it or I not. I mean, then what's, what's to stop the Seahawks from saying, my price is 11 well, but that, someone going to put enough billionaires they, together to buy one? No, because they they can't afford to keep the franchise based on the amount of money it's going to take to meet the minimum threshold for owners. Once all the money in the estate goes to charity, which is what Paul Allen has dedicated the vast majority of his wealth to. But if I'm the Harris's, can I come back and say, no, your franchise is worth four point two, and the owners are going to force you to sell anyways? So you can take this or not. But I don't think the owners are going to force him to sell. They're not even, they don't even know about the sell yet. Uh, They're saying that publicly. It doesn't seem like Dan Snyder would sell unless he was being, unless he had it, some sort of inclination that this investigation and other things around him are forcing him to sell. He went from very adamant about never selling the team to trying to sell the team quickly. And it all circled yeah. around this investigation. So I do well, think that he is being forced out one way or the other. Well, forced out, but also under his terms. There's a reason why Jeff Bezos isn't going to get the franchise. Yeah, I'm just asking the questions. These are the questions that I would have. And I think my house example is pretty damn good about it. I don't, that, that's what I don't get from the simple economics of it. I understand things are worth what you would spend for them or what someone will. But it's amazing to me that Daniel Snyder is able to dictate, I want $6 billion and that's it, and not... Someone can't come back and say, no, it's not worth that. The Broncos are better off right now. They went for 4.8, so here's your market. And then Snyder is going to get forced out. Anyway, it, it's, it's confusing to me. Well, and on top of that, I mean, you got a billion-dollar contract with Amazon for one game a week, you know, where your franchise plays one game a year right now on Thursday Night Football, and you're going to get a cut of that. I mean, every NFL only gets upwards of $500 million before the season even kicks off based on the TV contracts. And that's now before the new money kicks in. It's good work if you can Straight get Straight cash. Straight cash. Chad, uh, did you see, speaking of cash, Calvin Ridley and how much of an idiot he was uh, in not, this not a good, Not a good social media post. For uh, him. Yeah. So he's, the NFL has allowed uniforms now to, uh, players can wear the number zero. 
And Calvin Ridley with the Jags is the first player that the Jaguars just put this out there immediately. They gave zero to Ridley, who joins the Jacksonville Jaguars this season, and he's been cleared to play through the league. But there was a, a great response by just a, a troll, but it, and a fan on Twitter that apparently doesn't like him all that much says, zero of the amount of good bets on your parlay. Because he was suspended in, when it, while he was hurt in 2021. Uh, over a five-week span, he bet, reportedly, it was $1,500 over a stretch of five or six games in that particular parlay. And he said he doesn't have a gambling, gambling problem. It was $1,500, and that's it. And he was suspended indefinitely and ended up being the season. Um, but then he responded to the guy that said, in response to his new uniform number, zero of the amount of good bets on your, on your parlay. He then says that he, that's behind me, but he won $36,000, 36K. He then deleted that response on Twitter. But there is uh, a reporter, Brett Smiley of Sports Handle, that is in the gambling and sports wagering atmosphere uh, at sportshandle.com. They've reported that, in fact, he actually bet around $3,900 over that stretch that the NFL suspended him, not $1,500. And it was $3,900 across six separate bets that did include individual player props from the Atlanta Falcons while he was hurt and not playing. So this is the NFL saying, we've reinstated him, take a step back, don't do anything stupid, you're back in the league, we don't want to talk about it. And instead, it's now an obvious fact that he's betting way more than what the claim was for what he was suspended for. I'm not familiar with Calvin Ridley's representation, but here would be my advice to Calvin Ridley or any client of mine coming back from a lengthy suspension. Turn off your notifications on social media <laughs> and do not look at any replies. And if I catch you replying to anyone who has anything negative to say about you, I will drop you as a client. That's if you're a strong enough agent or manager to say that. You can do it. But that would be my advice as representation for any athlete coming off of any suspension. You are never going to benefit from replying to the quote-unquote haters out there. This is a classic example. Calvin Ridley felt so compelled to own this hater that said he made $0 off bets that he revealed making money off bets while also trying to convince America that he does not have a gambling problem while admitting to winning $36,000 gambling. This is not smart. Do not reply to anything that anyone sends you. This is my message to you. Thank you for listening. Woody Johnson says the Jets are anxious as they wait on the trade to go down between the Jets and the Packers. And he's saying, look, we're, we're in the win-now business. This is a win-now season for us. We need to get this done. We're anxious. We're not hyperventilating. That was the quote from the Jets owner. Um, as we await to see if the Packers are going to accept the Jets offer, which seems to be a second rounder, not a first rounder. Pretty soon, I think that the Packers could get $6 billion like Daniel Snyder could for just for Aaron Rodgers for a year or two. Crazy. That's the level of desperation right now for the Jets in this situation. Packers not getting that first round and this I, year, I can, is 13 I continue overall. to argue the Packers are in a great spot where they can kind of sit back and demand what they're going to demand and make the Jets come to them because they know full well it is out there for the world to see. Aaron Rodgers wants to be traded to the Jets. You badly thirst after Aaron Rodgers. So give me the picks. Bring me all the picks. That's what I want. That's the cost. 
do that and you can get your guy. Jets are holding firm so far. And Woody Johnson says, yes, we're, we're anxious. Coming up, Clay Travis joins us. That's next on Hot Mike here on the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. Sixth and Peabody, our location in Nashville. Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. And Clay Travis with us. Joins us by phone each and every week at this time. Clay, hope you're doing well. I am. What's up, guys? How are y'all? Hey, do, doing well. We Let's start with where the week started uh, with the, the tragedy at, at Covenant School right here, uh, just miles away from where we sit and, and where we live. And the, you know, the six people that lost their lives that were killed by the gunman and the three children and also the response by Metro PD here in Nashville with officers Rick Engelbert and Michael Colazzo with the incredible response that no doubt saved other lives. Yeah, I think that's the story. I mean, um, I, I, I don't know, and I've said this for a long time, how you can stop someone who is committed to doing an evil act. Um, I, I think it's very difficult, um, particularly on an individual level. Uh, but the heroism that the Nashville Police Department showed, um, I would encourage anybody who hasn't watched that video, six minutes along from when the officers basically pull up outside of the school to when they take down the shooter, and I know it's very trendy these days to, to rip cops and say that they don't do a very good job or even they aren't necessary or they needed to be defunded. I don't think very many social workers could have handled that situation um, that, uh, that they found themselves in the middle of on Monday morning. Um, and uh, I thought it was an incredible credit to their training, uh, to their bravery, to their courage, heroism, and uh, to the... Uh, to the work that they all did together to save probably countless lives uh, by taking down that, uh, that, that serial killer uh, as quickly as they did. Clay, 2 million people watched Iowa and Louisville and women's basketball on the elite eight. That's more than anyone has watched an NBA game on ESPN all season. That blew my mind when I heard that stat, what a great sign uh, for women's basketball right now. And what a terrible sign for the NBA on ESPN. Yeah, uh, I, I think that, that, that speaks volumes. Uh, I was kind of stunned by that um, he headline when I saw it at Outkick, too. Um, and uh, I think what it speaks to is people like basketball. They don't like the NBA's version of basketball. And the NBA has, to a large extent, and I think I've been on the front lines on this, really destroyed the brand uh, that was created for much of the 80s and the 90s that many fans grew up uh, embracing. And I think they decided to do it by leaning into incredibly woke politics. And I've been on this for years. I mean, my most recent book was called Republicans Buy Sneakers Too, which is a quote from Michael Jordan. Um, and I don't understand why, if you're in the business of appealing to the largest possible crowd, which is what the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, college football, college basketball, whatever sport you want to put out there, the goal of the business is to have as many people as possible consume their product. I don't know why you'd alienate any viewers. And I think what we're starting to see is 
there seems to be a recognition that that has occurred. Um, you know, whether it is uh, the NBA didn't try to pull their all-star game out of Salt Lake City, despite the fact that there are a couple of transgender um, bills that have been passed in the state of Utah. Uh, I saw today where Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, came out and said, yeah, maybe we don't need to be doing these LGBTQ plus, you know, pride nights or whatever they're calling them in the NHL because by and large people like hockey and they don't need to see uh, their sport totally embrace political um, attributes in any way. And, uh, and I think that, uh, that there's probably starting to be a recognition that sort of the gravy train of the cable and satellite industry is starting to disappear. And that's a you know, big story in and of itself. And that you can't afford anymore to alienate um, your, your, your fan base. And I think that's why you're starting to see sort of a rebound in the opposite direction. But then we see the story at Outkick today, Clay, where you know ESPN, we, we know the story here. They suspended Sage Steele. They forced her to apologize for commenting on politics. But they're also promoting, in the moment, Bamani Jones and a, a segment that he's going to have on, on Trump's potential arrest, and that's going to happen on ESPN. And when contacted, of course, ESPN has no comment on the double standard. Yeah, and, and I think ESPN, look, their business, and I've been on this for a while, and there's still a lot of people in sports who don't understand it. Their business is collapsing in rapid fashion. And I'll take it outside of ESPN in particular, and I don't think this story has gotten anywhere near as much attention as it should have. Rupert Murdoch sold all of the regional sports networks that he owned, um, you know, Fox Sports South, Fox Sports Ohio, whatever, all these different regional Fox Sports um, satellite channels, basically. Uh, meaning, you know, regional for $20 billion in, uh, in about four years ago, Disney uh, bought those for $20 billion roughly as a part of the $71 billion purchase of Fox assets that, that Disney undertook. Uh, the department of justice said you can't own these regional sports networks. It's an antitrust violation, which by the way, I think the department of justice got that wrong. Um, I think Disney should have been able to keep those assets, but as a result, Disney had to sell those channels and they immediately lost roughly $10 billion on that sale. They got $10 billion and the company that bought those basically Sinclair, uh, Sinclair bought all those regional sports networks, thought they were getting a great deal at $10 billion and now they've all gone bankrupt. So in the space of four years, We've seen in a regional sports network, companies go from $20 billion valuation to bankruptcy. Uh, and it's one of the all-time great sales uh, in Rupert Murdoch's business career to get out when he did. But I think you're going to see the same thing happen to the ESPN network overall. And they're going to try to argue, oh, we're just going to pivot and go to streaming but I don't think they can ever make the same dollars uh, through their streaming service that they're making through the cable and satellite bundle. And therefore, they're going to have a great deal of difficulty paying for all of the rights that they are committed to over uh, the years ahead. So um, I, I think ESPN is desperate. Um, I think they are floundering. 
And I think the network is in significant trouble over the next five years. Clay, I'm glad you brought up the regional sports networks because Major League Baseball now is affected by this. I want to say there's 11 clubs that are going to be affected by the bankruptcy that's been recently filed. There's another sports network that's going to affect four other teams with their carriage of all of their games. When you look at that, a year ago, Major League Baseball had record revenues, and that has now turned into Steve Cohen and the Mets having a record payroll. But it does feel like we're headed for a reset with salaries and with Major League Baseball. How concerning is this for the future business model of the sport when you see these regional networks struggling to this extent? Well, I think the leagues and or the teams are going to have to figure out a brand new model. Um, And this doesn't impact the NFL um, because almost all NFL games are distributed on national networks, not cable. But it certainly impacts the NHL, Major League Baseball, uh, and the NBA. Um, And I don't know what their answer is going to end up being. I don't know if they're going to, for instance, just put all the rights into one streaming service and allow people basically to do away with uh, the idea of regional viewership. Um, I don't know what their solution is going to be. It's going to be fascinating. Um, But effectively, they're going to have to try to get that money, I think, by going direct to consumer themselves, either through an individual team basis or through the league as a whole. And I think what they're going to find is it's virtually impossible for them to replicate the dollars that they were making off of their regional sports networks. And if I'm right, uh, that means either they have to figure out new ways to create massive revenue streams sort of on the fly here, or uh, it means that a lot of these, uh, a lot of these pro sports leagues are going to suddenly have come to Jesus moments where you gotten used to, if you're an NBA or NHL or, uh, or major league baseball player, the idea that basically salaries only go up, right? Um, every year, somebody is setting a new record for how much money they're making everything else. Well, that's not always the case. Um, and, uh, it's possible. And by the way, that's also why I think this woke thing is starting to blow up in people's face now. Uh, because again, it circles back around to, oh, maybe we shouldn't be alienating, uh, anybody in our business. If our business is starting to struggle with the cable and satellite bundles, let's figure out a way to, uh, to try to keep everybody happy. Clay, when you look at this final four, FAU versus San Diego state, Miami versus UConn. Is this a Final Four that is good for the sport of college basketball, bad for the sport? Are you indifferent to it? What's your first reaction when you look at these four teams? It's bad for a year of ratings, right? Way fewer people are going to watch the Final Four with these four teams. I think it can be both bad on an individual yearly basis and simultaneously good for the overall brand of college basketball. And, and I'll explain what I mean by that. I just told you the the tickets are going to cost virtually nothing. I think I tweeted that out as soon as it was set. Some people are like, you don't know what you're talking about. I think they're down to like $75 get in prices now, which is unheard of for a final four. I think they'll probably go lower than that. Um, And, uh, and that's a function on some level of interest, right? That's what uh, fan prices for tickets are just a rough approximation of interest. And I think that's going to translate into far fewer people watching because people say, oh, we want the underdogs to win, but really they want to watch the Blue Bloods, the teams that they have strong opinions about, rooting interests for. Um, But, so I think it's going to be bad for ratings this year, 
But I think for the overall brand of the NCAA tournament, it's probably good because it means and fulfills this idea of, hey, any of the 68 teams that make the college football, I mean, the, the NCAA tournament could end up winning the NCAA tournament. And given the fact that we're going to have San Diego State or FAU playing for a championship, um, I think that's never been more crystal clear. Now, if uh, you know if UConn were to lose to Miami or something, and let's say you ended up with Miami against FAU, <laughs> uh, I mean, you would have to be an absolute genius, or, or I guess one of the biggest South Florida basketball fans of all time uh, to have ever made that your bracket pick. So I think it's not good for an individual year basis. I think it's probably good for the overall brand of college basketball because it fulfills the sales pitch of the tournament every year, which is anybody could win with this final four. That certainly feels to be the case. Chad, what was your response on Monday when we were discussing the, the trip to New York about Tennessee reaching full potential and winning a national championship in hoops about them ever doing it? Yeah. It's never going to happen. Uh, I just, it's just, it's a program clay. We've seen enough of it now that, that this is who they are. They, they're a team that can be really good in the regular season and they're going to fail in the NCAA tournament. Maybe that changes with a, a coach, but th- that's who they are under Rick Barnes for sure. Yeah, look, I mean, I was there. It was fun to go see a game in Madison Square Garden this past weekend in, uh, in New York. But, I mean, at some point you are what your, uh, what your program is, right? Like you stop trying to argue that you're something that you're not. And Rick Barnes is a really good regular season coach who for now, whatever it is, 35 years of coaching college basketball has never really been able to get his team, no matter how talented they are, to take the next step. And I think at some point you just have to accept that that is always going to be the case um, with Rick Barnes. Now, you know, if they coaches another three or four years, he might make a couple of sweet 16s at Tennessee. Um, and, uh, and then who knows who the next coach is. It might come in uh, and, uh, and change that trajectory. I think, again, if Bruce Pearl hadn't gotten fired, I think Bruce Pearl would have won a national championship at Tennessee. I really do. I mean, he's gone to the final four with Auburn. He came close to winning a national championship at Auburn, which is not as good of a basketball school as Tennessee is. Um, so we'll see who the next coach is, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, frustrating. I think Tennessee is one in eight all time, if I'm not mistaken in sweet 16 games, that's hard to do. Um, and, uh, that requires a lot of failure by a lot of different teams. So Clay, you and I both love the show succession on HBO. I've got a big yeah. picture question about the decision from Jesse Armstrong, the creator, to go out after four seasons on the absolute top of the mountain. This, is, this show is critically loved. It, the ratings are great on HBO. They could probably do three or four more seasons, and people would love it, but they're going out on top. Dave Chappelle did this because he had kind of a mental breakdown when he took a bunch of money yeah. and decided to go out after, what, two or three years of Chappelle's show. Certainly did not hurt his career in the long run. But this idea of I'm going to get out when I feel like I've told my story and do it on top and not hang around for a year or two longer, even though it could be very lucrative for me and everyone associated with the show, what do you think about the decision to exit stage left with succession after only four seasons and what that could mean for other media brands out there that may be thinking the same thing? Well, I mean, first of all, Succession is popular in New York and L.A. and for people who work in media. 
but it isn't actually that wildly successful. I mean, I think only 2.3 million people watched the season four debut. So we're not talking about, I don't think, a situation where it's a Game of Thrones level popularity where people are building their entire Sundays around it, where you have like a huge uh, committed 20 million people or whatever it was that were watching every Game of Thrones. So I think. But also not in danger of being canceled. They could have kept doing seasons for as long as they wanted. HBO loves it. But 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 I, I don't think that it's like. It's not transformative for uh, for HBO, right? It's not House I, of the Dragon you, or Last of Us, to your point, in terms of numbers. Yeah, if it fails, it doesn't really matter at this point. There's not driving, streaming signups, everything else. Uh, so in that respect, um, you know, I, the first person that I remember saying, I'm not going to take more money, I've, ta- I've done everything I can with the show, was Seinfeld. And I think they did 10 years of Seinfeld, if I remember correctly. I don't know what the total number of episodes is, somehow 200 plus. And they were offering, you know, $100 million or something back in 1998 or 1999 to Jerry Seinfeld. And he just said, I've told all my stories, basically. Um, And if you feel like you have told all your stories, not like this guy, whoever the showrunners are for succession are done, right? That they will probably go back to the drawing board and come up with, several more shows. I imagine these guys are not super old uh, that may or may not have the same staying power as succession. But if you feel like you've basically told the whole crux of the story, um, then, uh, then I respect it um, uh, a great deal to, uh, to, to not just continue to take the cash and instead to look for what may feel like a new challenge. Um, And so I love the show. I think it's, incredibly well-written, um, fantastically, uh, fantastically written. And I love it, uh, a great deal. I mean, I'm, I'll look forward to it every Sunday for the next 10 weeks or however many episodes there are. Uh, but, uh, but, but I appreciate when somebody feels like they've, they've mapped out everything they can do with the characters. Clay Travis joins us each Wednesday at this time. We hit a variety of topics from outkick.com. Clay, thanks as always, man. Have a great rest of the week. Appreciate it, my man. Y'all have good weeks. Yep. Thanks, Clay. Same to you. There's, uh, there's Clay. Uh, you can go on. He's got the Outkick the Show available where he dives into Lamar Jackson as well um, and that saga. Lamar Jackson's also someone. You mentioned Calvin Ridley needs to stay off the mentions. Lamar Jackson's now doing that where he's responding to people discussing. Well, it wasn't people. It was owners. Owners are discussing why, like Arthur Blank said, well, there's a good reason why we're not going to go all in for Lamar Jackson, and it's because of the, the injury history of the last two years. But Lamar re- tweets back out and says, well, um, I played injured for the first 12 weeks of the season on the, the PCL that was never reported that I had to say whenever I sat out towards the end of the year. And that has... Uh, uh, Deion Sanders has retweeted him and responded at telling him to let everyone talk and he needs to sit back. Multiple people are doing that. Adelius Thomas, uh, former Ravens, doing that now too. So it's it's a very desperate move from Lamar Jackson right now. I respect those much like I respect the creator of Succession for getting out on top. You know, say I've told my story. That's it. I respect those that are of the profile of Lamar Jackson that have the ability to shut the hell up when in transition from team to team or something professionally that can just go away and go radio silent until something is done. And that seems to me to be 
a quality that exists less and less in sports and entertainment. And there's a narrative that Dave Chappelle, right? He goes to South Africa or wherever he went and went radio silent when he decided I'm done with Chappelle show and came back and went on a new path. Lamar Jackson wants a new path with a new team. So just be quiet right now. It's not going to benefit you at all until you ultimately get what you want. And the narrative that, that, I don't, I don't believe it, that he was sitting out towards the end of the year because he didn't want to get hurt. Well, he played last year and, and knew that he was going to try to get this contract, turned it down, played anyway, and then sat out towards the end of the year. And that's what he's referring to. I don't remember me sitting out on my guys week one through week 12 against the Broncos. How come all of a sudden I sit out because of money, which I could have got hurt, any time within that same time frame when I played? We know why the Super Bowl, we all know the Super Bowl's been on my mind since April 2018. I... I I don't want to be too extreme with this in terms of his value. But the more he tweets, the less valuable he is to another team. Well, I mean, not to the not to the Ravens. Not to the Ravens, but he doesn't want to be a Raven. He's he's said that. He there, wants to move on from them. So if that's you know your goal, a lot? Jim Irsay. Yeah, and he owns a team. If Lamar Jackson owns a team, they can tweet as much as he wants. No, that be team fine. may want Lamar Jackson. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but does even Jim Irsay and his football people want a quarterback who tweets this much? I, I don't know. They want know. a quarterback who wins. They haven't had that in a while. Well, we'll see. I, it's not I, – I don't know what's going on why well, a he former barely MVP – He barely tweets, but he's responding to the owners yeah, I just, at the owners' meeting. Quarterback is different. It's just different. I mean, If yeah. he's a pass rusher that wants to tweet at people saying hateful things to him, have at it, but and just tweet away when you get to your destination. And he's also my point. during this time, just go radio silent. When it comes to the contract for the leagues, for the players, if he's just a pass rusher, that guy takes the money he was offered last August. And if you want to represent yourself, when you tweet at someone, that's you representing yourself. Yes. There's no agent out there negotiating for you. You can't just sit to the side and say, I'm going to crush this guy who probably lives in his parents' basement because well, he said this about me and tell them why they're wrong, just be quiet. Well, but guys with agents tweet all the time, too. True, but that, that's my the, point. Not having an agent doesn't He is both this. his agent and himself right now. So every time he speaks on social media, that's both sides. So yeah, just I, shut up. But he's not saying anything that's incorrect. No, but again, shut up. There's no need to say it. I think we need to side out more. We didn't know about the PCL injury till the end of the season. If he thinks that's sabotaging his ability to get with another team, yeah. But you can also tell the other team that. You don't have to publicly yeah, we, we report. We do about the PCL, yeah. I think it popped back up at the owners' meetings, though, as a reason why teams aren't reaching out to him right now. And Baltimore's saying, hey, come play on the non-exclusive tag. If I were Lamar Jackson's agent, I'd have him another team by now. <laughs> I feel like I, I could. I would have him a landing spot. Or he'd fire you because you couldn't get him the deal he wanted. Or he'd fire me because I'd tell him to shut up on social media. I don't know how well, these guys operate. There are plenty of them who have been told yes by everyone, and the moment you disagree with them, you may be fired. That's also a possibility. That also may be why this guy doesn't have an agent. But there's only, a, Chad, there's only about 10 players in the league that can chirp anytime they want to, and they're all quarterbacks. They can get away with it. The well, pass rusher can't do that and then expect to get the money yeah, that Lamar wants. Especially the ones that have what they want. And right now, he does not have what he wants. Well, so I'd wait to chirp away when he has what he wants. And neither do the Baltimore Ravens. 
No, but they're not on Twitter saying anything about him. They're just chatting about how they would love him back. Yeah. And but what does he want? He said he wants to move on from the Ravens. Am I incorrect in reading that? He does now, yeah. Said he asked for it on so March 5th. that's fine if the Ravens want. He doesn't want that. I am saying from the standpoint of Lamar Jackson, if you want what you want, you don't have it right now. So until you get that thing, go radio silent. But we know he's going to get it. With another team? Period. He's going he's gonna to get paid more than what he's getting this year. But will it be with another team or with the Ravens? I don't know. I think there is a great possibility it could be with another team now. I hope Jim he does. Ur- Jim Irsay and, and Chris I want Ballard that shake are the first, up to first team publicly to say, yes, we're interested. Two I, days ago. I, for the league's sake and for his, I hope that shakeup happens. I would just shut up until it does. That's what I would do. You can tell me that I'm wrong and that he was going to get exactly what he wants. He may. I would just be quiet until I have it. We haven't heard the owners say that they wanted him until he piped up, though. Until then, the reports were they weren't interested. They weren't going to. Well, pick it was up their the first chance call. to answer questions about it. It all happened because it was at the owners' meeting and they were asked directly and they got to answer. The reports are pretty quick right after the non exclusive tag, though, to my point, that they were not interested. Well, these teams. they didn't speak. He released the statement as his coach was taking the podium that he requested to be traded. And then once that happened, that's the, that's the finger hitting the domino that knocked everything around where everyone started asking the owners. Then they could speak publicly on it. I, I hope I, – I'm with you. I hope that he gets what he needs. It's not going to be the fully guaranteed money, but hopefully it represents something for Burrow, Herbert, anyone else moving forward. Jalen Hurts – that wants to get bank as well. I'm a chaos agent when it comes to things like this. I have no emotional attachment to the Baltimore Ravens or Lamar Jackson. So what I want, chaos. I want him on another team. I want to see what that does to the other team. I want to see what that does to the Ravens. That's what I hope for in this whole situation. So I hope he gets what he wants. Because what he wants is the money from someone else. Coming up, Rick Ross. He's the new guy on a Buffalo in this neighborhood's not happy about it. That's next on Hot Mike. Ted, Rick Ross recently purchased Evander Holyfield's 250-acre estate. He's got all kinds of animals. He mows all this land and property, too, that Evander was apparently paying a million dollars a year for to have it mowed. Um, a million a year yes, to have it, the landscaping done? That's what the neighbor told Rick Ross wow. when they saw him mowing. And he also has recently added buffalo to the property. You ever see? Don't lie. You're lying. Come here. Welcome home. I love you. I'm looking you in your eyes. I'm looking you in your eyes. Come here. I love you. I love you. You home. Aim too. Everybody welcome Timbuktu to the family. The neighbors are upset because the buffalo continue to get out. And I mean, they... You don't mess with Buffalo. I don't know if you've seen the reports from like Yellowstone, but like all these people uh, yeah. that are trying to approach Yellowstone and uh, or approach Buffalo there, and they're getting injured, considerably injured. And now the, the parents are like, hey, my kids are afraid to go outside. 
And Rick Ross is telling them, so when you see my buffalo, give it a carrot, give it an apple. They're so kind. They're so peaceful. Is this Rick Ross or Ted Turner would be my first question. <laughs> is he going to start a Montana grill like Ted Turner did? Or I, a I just, it doesn't seem legal that you could just have I mean, buffalo on a residence. Oh, you can, you can have buffalo. They just need to be fenced. Okay. Don't let them loose. I, I wasn't familiar with the buffalo laws in this country. I'll read up on it. You can have zebra, I'll, too. I'll bone up Back on it tomorrow. tomorrow. I'll be ready to go.